Uh, The reading this evening is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 27, which can be found in page 1151 of the Pew Bibles. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Uh, Thanks very much for reading, Audrey. It'd be good if you um, keep your Bibles open at that passage, please. Uh, Let me pray before we begin to look at it. Father God, as we always do when we study your word, we need your help so that we understand correctly what it is that you want to teach us. Please reveal to us your truth, and please help us to be responsive to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are some of the characteristics of distinctive Christian living in a pagan culture? Um, Well, that's the question which Paul is answering in this middle section of, of his first letter to Corinthians. Um, Chapter 9 is right at the centre of this section, uh, began at uh, chapter 8, verse 1, and finishes at chapter 11, verse 1. Paul tackles the question, what is distinctive Christian living? He's explaining how Christians should live in a pagan culture. And in this chapter, Paul identifies three characteristics which should be evident in the lives of Christians. Daniel covered one of them last week, and we find two 
in the final nine verses, which we are looking at this evening. And I guess if you were here um, last Sunday, you'll not need, you will not need to be reminded uh, of the message, for it is very clear. Paul makes the point very forcefully that he has rights, and notably, one right about which Daniel was uh, embarrassed about preaching was the right of support of cost of living for those who have preached the gospel. Um, Daniel commented that as a member of staff to be preaching about the need for ministers of the gospel to be paid, or should I say to receive support, we don't like to be, use the word about paying our ministers, um, and he made the point that he hadn't chosen uh, to preach on that passage, he was rather embarrassed about it. Well, as an, em- as an elder, can I emphasise that we much prefer to support Daniel and our other staff. We do not want them to spend half their time making tents for a living. And I can't imagine Daniel or any of our staff members being much good at making tents. We want them to commit the whole of their time as ministers of the gospel. But the key message from last week was that despite his legitimate rights, Paul did not exercise them. He was content to forgo them. And we see that in verse 15. But I have not used any of these rights. And so the first characteristic of the Christian life which Paul teaches, we saw last week, was that uh, it is a life of sacrifice. And we see uh, the second characteristic in the very first verse of this evening's passage. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Um, And the second characteristic of the life of a Christian is one of service. Paul uses the word slave, but I've chosen to use the word service. And Paul explains his reason for serving, or for making himself a slave to everyone, and then he explains what what that looks like. His reason is stated very clearly in verse 19 to win as many as possible. And he repeats that word, it probably came through to you as uh, Audrey read it, he repeats that word win four times in the following verses. And then in verse 23 he speaks of saving some. And to do that, to win people, Paul is willing to become all things to all people. In other words, he's willing to adopt the customs and rituals of others in order to engage with them and to share the gospel with them. Food is the obvious example. He would or would not eat kosher, depending who he was eating with. And in verse 22, uh, Paul refers to the weak. Well, who does he have in mind? And I guess he's probably referring to Christians, perhaps new believers, who have overly scrupulous consciences. They are very nervous about what is and what is not permitted as a Christian. And they are observing rules that they're not bound to. And so winning those is not to bring them to salvation, but to bring them to a greater maturity of faith. And so I think that in speaking of winning people, Paul is primarily speaking of bringing the lost to salvation, but also of helping the weak, new Christians, to a greater maturity. 
And we have a specific example of being all things to all people, a number of examples in Acts. In Acts 16, Paul encounters a young disciple, Timothy, and he recognises his potential as someone whom he can train to be a useful companion and helper. He wants to take him with him on his travels, and so we read that he had Timothy circumcised because of the Jews lived in, who lived in that area. In one sense, there was really no need, but it was a barrier to effective witness to the Jews, as Timothy would not have had access to the synagogue. And Paul wanted to re- avoid that barrier, and so he had Timothy circumcised. And there are two occasions in Corinth, we read in Acts 18, and in Jerusalem, in Acts 21, when Paul undertook purification rites and vows. And at least in Corinth, it involved having his head shaved. Why? Not because of any law that required it, but it, because it enhanced the gospel opportunities with the Jews amongst whom Paul was ministering. Perhaps the best example of Paul being all things to all men, uh, to all people, sorry, I use the word men, all people, is from his visit to Athens. There he engaged with three distinct audiences. Firstly, with the Jews in the synagogue. Then he went into the marketplace. That was a place where all the free thinkers and debaters went and he engaged with them. And then he went to the Areopagus. The Athenian Areopagus had a similar function to the Jewish Sanhedrin. It was to investigate spiritual or philosophical ideas. Its real purpose was was to defend a Greek concept of the gods. So you can imagine with these three different audiences, uh, Paul had to adopt a different approach, different language, um, never compromising his message, never compromising what was right, but always engaging with those uh, according to their customs. And in, uh, as he was there in the Areopagus, he actually quoted from some of the philosophers, some of the pagan philosophers. Uh, he was trying to engage with those men on the ground, on the same level at which they were at. We just have to think of some of the people um, with whom Jesus spoke Jesus had the same approach, engaging with different people um, according to their particular uh, needs and their backgrounds. Uh, We we think of Jesus engaging with those that respected in society, people like Nicodemus, the centurion. Then he engaged with those of dubious character, with tax collectors, Levi and Zacchaeus. He engaged with a woman caught in adultery, and then the woman at the well. And then there was the rich young ruler, and so many others, notably those who were healed. Each occasion, Jesus uh, adjusted his approach uh, and his presentation according to those with whom he was speaking. And you can imagine, well, you know, the way he actually engaged with the Pharisees and Sadducees with whom he had far less patience than anyone else. 
So was it not true of Jesus too that he, has, he was all things to all people? Jesus, of course, Jesus had the advantage that he could see into the heart of the people with whom he was engaging. He knew the real motive. He knew whether they were genuine seekers or whether they had chosen and had no desire to repent of their life of sin. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to follow the example of Jesus and of the Apostle Paul to be all things so that by, uh, to, by all things to all people, so that by all possible means some might be saved. I just reflecting, it's uh, commendable that a week on Saturday, men, many of the men of the church will forego their Saturday lying and their first choice breakfast of fresh fruit and yogurt. <laughs> some will even forego the park run. And they will force themselves to get down to the wool pack where they will force themselves to indulge in a full English breakfast. This may, this may seem a silly and frivolous example, but in putting on a breakfast in a local pub, we have the same motive that what Paul was speaking of, to be, things, to be all things to all people so that some might be saved. To proclaim the gospel in whatever setting our friends will be comfortable. For many, the church, or at least a church service, is their least comfortable place. Uh, we've already mentioned our prayer meeting on Thursday. And I would just urge you, if you long that some might be saved as a result of our open week, can I just urge you to join us on our Thursday evening? Praying that some might be saved uh, that would be at the very heart of our prayers. It's the reason we should be gather, gathering together. And of course, we have established our community outreach programme for the same reason. And we will be praying that some of the con contacts we've made in the community will accept invitations to open week events. So let us move on to the second half of the passage, uh, verses 24 to 27 just like to read those again. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like, to, like, a, like a boxer beat in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. We have in these verses uh, the third characteristic, that of self-discipline. The Corinthians love their sports, not least because Corinth was the home to the Isthmian Games. Although overshadowed by the Olympics, the Isthmian Games, held every two years, were immensely popular, attracting large numbers of visitors from across Greece. In fact, historians believe that the Games were being held 
when Paul visited Corinth in AD 51. And if that was the case, then we can be sure that it was a strategic decision by Paul to be there at that time. Not, of course, to be a spectator, but because of the greater gospel opportunities with so many people gathered there. The Games had a number of events we have in the modern Olympics, including equestrians, equestrian, gymnastics, wrestling, boxing, and obviously running. And um, we've stopped having chariot racing in, in the modern Olympics. But most surprisingly, uh, in the Isthmian Games, they had poetry reading. I guess poetry reading was a preferred option for those not so keen on boxing. By all accounts, boxing was pretty brutal. The boxers wrapped their knuckles with leather straps and the fight would, the fight would continue until one of the boxers was knocked out or signalled defeat by raising a finger. Unbelievably, uh, apparently it was not unknown for fights to go on for up to four hours. Uh, poetry reading would have been less exhausting and carried slightly less risk of injury. But anyone wanting to participate in the Games had to be serious. The Games were not for the faint-hearted. Every candidate had to take an oath that they had been training for ten months and that they would observe all the rules and regulations. Any breach would would result in their disqualification. They would have to live on a strict self-denying diet as do modern athletes, of course, and I guess that even applies to park runners. It demanded the strictest discipline. And what would the winners get? And there's nothing for um, second and third place then, it was just the winners. What would they get? Not even a gold medal or any medal. Paul speaks of a crown, but it was actually a wreath of pine leaves and not even plastic pine leaves that would last the wreath would have started to rot after a week or so. Of course, there was the glory of winning and the great sense of achievement, but what lasting satisfaction did they provide? In verse 25, Paul says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Paul is purposeful not participating for the fun of it or just to make up numbers. His aim is to win. And what is his fear? That he might be disqualified. There are, what did Paul mean by that? There are three possibilities. That he might lose his salvation. And I think we can dismiss that as a possibility even leaving aside the arguments about whether a believer can lose their salvation. I cannot see the context of this passage giving any support for the idea that Paul is alluding to loss of salvation. The third possibility is that he loses his right to preach or to be a minister of the gospel as a result of some sin in his life. It's possible that is what Paul has in mind. For in the next chapter, we will see next week, he's about to warn his readers um, against idolatry and sexual immorality. 
However, that meaning doesn't seem to flow from the preceding verses we've just read. I think for me, the most likely meaning is that he fails to win the prize that he's running for. And that prize is the crown of recognition from Christ that he has served well in the specific area of being an effective witness and winning others for Christ. In other words, being disqualified means that he misses out on the commendation from Christ that he is seeking. We read of the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And one of the things we might be judged on is our response to the Great Commission. I think the question we must ask ourselves is this. In the area of witnessing to others, are we exercising self-discipline? Are we truly eager to win the prize that is Christ's commendation? Or are we running as though we're in a park run just for the fun of it, running aimlessly, quite content to bring up the rear? Or to use Paul's analogy of a boxer, are we content to flail our arms around without any attempt to land a punch on our opponent? We have to be purposeful and disciplined in every area of our lives. We will not achieve our objectives unless we exercise self-discipline. We will not achieve exam grades that we need. We will not achieve the professional qualifications and the promotions to advance in our careers. We will not achieve our business goals. And it's true in family life too. Family problems arise when there's a lack of self-discipline within the family. A chaotic lifestyle is often the result of a lack of self-discipline in our decision-making. In all these areas, when we exercise self-discipline in pursuing our aims, we can expect to be rewarded and we will enjoy those rewards. But those rewards are like a wreath of pine leaves in comparison with the reward of being commended by Jesus. They are of value for a season. But let us not think that Paul's only motivation was the prize that he longed for. Surely there was another reason. A couple of days ago I happened to be reading Matthew 9.36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And you're familiar, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're familiar with the, the verses that follow. Jesus told his disciples to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. I often uh, quote J.C. Ryle, and I'm going to do so this evening. Let me share his comment on this verse. What tender compassion our Lord had for neglected souls. He saw multitudes of people scattered like sheep, having no shepherd, 
He was moved with compassion. He saw that they were neglected by those who ought to have been teachers. He saw them ignorant, hopeless, dying and unfit to die. The sight moved him to feel deep pity. His loving heart could not see such things and not feel for the people. I'm sure Paul felt as Jesus did. But Ryle asks us whether we feel pity for the harassed and helpless in our communities who are like sheep without a shepherd. And he observes anyone who does not feel for the souls of the unconverted can surely not have the mind of Christ. Anyone who does not feel for the souls of the unconverted can surely not have the mind of Christ. What a challenge that was to me when I read it. It really hurt me, and I'm still feeling pretty sore. Quite a challenge. We cannot have the mind of Christ unless we have the same compassion and pity that the Lord Jesus had upon those who were without faith and ignorant of their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen that Paul's life was a life of sacrifice. It was a life of service, making himself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And it was a self-disciplined life. And the question we have to ask ourselves, are all those characteristics evident in our life? Let me pray. Almighty God, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul's life and especially for the fact that he felt compelled to preach the gospel, reflecting a deep compassion for those who were lost like sheep in need of a shepherd. Please forgive us when we seem to be and are indifferent to the state of those who are not following you. Please stir us to follow the example of Paul to live lives of sacrifice, of service and of self-discipline that we, like Paul, might be willing to be used by you to make known the Lord Jesus in our communities and that we might have the joy of seeing some brought into his kingdom. For we ask this in his name. Amen.